Welcome to the Feminine Frequency Podcast. I'm your host, Amy from Amy Natalie Co., spiritual teacher, mindset coach, and speaker. I'm here to remind you how to tap into your feminine frequency to elevate your relationships, attract more money, and feel confident in your body. Each week, I'll be sharing wisdom from guest experts and guided meditations, along with my favorite spiritual mindset techniques so that you can access abundance, love, and manifest a life that is in alignment with your soul's true desires. Let's do this, sister. Hello, beautiful soul, and welcome to the Feminine Frequency Podcast. I'm so grateful to have you here with me today for this guest episode with Becky Morrison, where we talk all about releasing guilt and turning up the volume of your happiness. I am sitting here right now in the beautiful Kauai. I'm looking outside of my window. It just rained. It is so lush and green and beautiful. And I am here for this chapter of my nomadic journey. And honestly, this is the most feminine, nourishing place that I have ever been to. I've been to a lot of really beautiful places this year and Hawaii just has something that is so lush and nourishing. Like I mentioned, it feels like I can just be here. And I've been really tuning in to the quality of slowness and how different that feels to slow down here than it does even when I'm in San Diego, which is where my home base is. And San Diego is considered technically like a slower city um, than let's say, for example, New York or London, right? So for me, what I'm really embracing here is attuning to the energy of the land and choosing intentionally to slow down and deepen my embodiment practices and coming back to my intuitive eating practices. And since I've been here, I've really been in the practice of not wearing makeup and really deepening my self-love practice in that way of really body acceptance and deepening my love for my own authentic beauty. And these are lessons that are really opening up so, so much for me while I'm here. So I'm very, very, very grateful to be here. And if you have not been following my journey on Instagram, I invite you to come on over and follow along. I've been posting some amazing photos in my stories and just sharing this magic as much as I can with you. So you can find me on Instagram at Amy Natalie Co. And when you go to my page, you will also see that yesterday I opened the doors for early applications for my newest program, which is called the Empowered and Embodied Journey. This is a six month deep dive that I only offer twice a year. And I am so excited about this process in particular because I haven't seen anything like it. And really it is what I would want at this point on my journey, the journey that I've been on over this last year of integrating the mindset and spiritual work with embodiment. And the reason why this is so important is that we can't just think differently. 
it's really, really important, especially as women, to do the work of integrating and embodying this new version of yourself. A woman who shows up in her confidence, a woman who is fully expressed, a woman who doesn't care what other people think, um, and who really, really is rooted in her authentic truth. And throughout this six-month journey, I'm going to be guiding you through six different core pillars, core areas to get into and become this next version of yourself. So we're going to be covering wealth creation, optimizing alignment, polarity in relationships, feminine leadership, your sexuality and pleasure, and then embodied spirituality. And the way that this process is really different to anything else that I've taught before and anything else that I've seen is that it really encompasses both the masculine and the feminine of personal development. And I will preface that this specific process is not for someone who's brand new to personal development. So if you are new, you can definitely reach out and ask me about one of my courses, Discover Your Confidence or the Feminine Frequency Journey. That would be a great place to start. But if you are a woman who has been on your personal development journey, your spiritual path, and you are really looking to deepen and to expand, we're going to be having one session a month where it's really focused on empowerment and expanding your mind for what's possible. And then we're going to have one session a month that's more of the feminine embodiment. So I'll be teaching an embody class to really anchor in the wisdom and the codes that you're going to be learning in the empowerment session for the month. And then the third session for the month is about sisterhood and deepening your connection with other women, doing healing through group work and community and being surrounded by other women, other goddesses, other queens who are really showing up in their life in a very powerful and expansive way. So I could not say more uh, right now because there's just so much that I want to share about this process. But if you are interested in learning more and getting the early application for this journey, please send me a message on Instagram at Amy Natalie Co. And the early applications are specifically for women who are like, yes, I definitely want in on this. Um, there are only 10 spots for this program. So um, the early applicants will get first dibs. And then also, in addition to that, you will get two additional Embody classes with me, as well as a small group coaching session before we begin. So that's what is coming your way. And now let's get into our episode for today with Becky Morrison. So Becky is a mom, a wife, a lawyer turned happiness coach. Her mission is to spread joy. She believes most people can live happier, easier lives if they get clear on what matters most to them and then develop a plan to do more of that and less of the rest. If she can help enable people to find clarity and happiness, then everyone wins. Becky brings together all her learnings in her recently published book, The Happiness Recipe, a powerful guide to living what matters. I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll see you on the other side. Hello, Becky. Welcome to the Feminine Frequency Podcast. Thanks, Amy. I'm really excited to be here. 
Yeah, I'm so excited to talk all about your method for happiness and about your book and your coaching and everything that you are sharing with the world. Before we do that, I would love to just start by hearing about you know, where this journey started for you of being a, uh, a teacher of happiness. I think that especially where we're at right now in the world and with, you know, a lot of changes and uncertainty and going through the pandemic and all of that, I think a lot of people are recognizing and becoming even more aware of, you know, how their mental health is being affected. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about your personal journey of, of studying happiness and, and becoming a teacher of this work. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting because I would say that this topic found me versus me seeking it out, if that makes sense. And, And it goes all the way back for me. I think the starting point of this story was probably about 15 plus years ago. And, um, at that time I had done what I thought I was supposed to do. I had gotten good grades in high school, uh, gotten into a good college, gotten decent grades in college, good grades in college, um, had a job after college and then knew I was supposed to go to grad school. So literally flipped a coin between getting my MBA and going to law school and went to Georgetown law, great law school and got a job at a big firm with a big paycheck on my way to becoming a partner. And I found myself one Tuesday evening, um, sitting on the floor of the bathroom with the cordless phone clipped to the back of my pants. Cause this is pre cell phone, pre AirPod days. Um, the toilet seat cover closed my notebook on the toilet seat cover papers all around me and a toddler in the bathtub. And I had two thoughts in that moment in very quick succession. The first thought was I, like, who says you can't do it all? Who says, um, you know, here I am. My husband had been called into work. He worked in counterterrorism. So I landed with the toddler, but I had a work um, obligation. And so had taken them both on feeling like I'm handling it all. It's great. I'm here for my kid. I'm here for my client. Everything's great. Literally not a breath later. I thought I'm exhausted and I'm not sure I'm happy. And so that was the beginning for me of walking a path in my career and in my life of trying to figure out what it was that I really needed to be happy and what worked best for me and best for my family and building a career and a life around that instead of doing what I thought I should, which I mean, it's not a straight line. It's not an easy path. Was it? And it was not perfect. I want to be really (laughs) frank about that. Um, But that's where it started. Mm, Thank you so much for sharing about your journey and for the listeners who are familiar with, with my story, I have a very, very similar journey of, you know, going down the path that society shows us is going to be what's considered successful. And then having that moment where, you know, you're sitting there and you're like admitting to yourself or just really acknowledging like, wait, am I really happy? Like, this isn't what it's meant to be like, right? This isn't what I thought it was supposed to be like. I thought it was supposed to feel like, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So from that place of, you know, having that realization, I know that you said it's been about, did you say like 12 years since that started? That was 15 years ago that happened. Yeah. Um, And then, I mean, it was, you know, I'd love to say like, that was the aha. And then I started down this much more thoughtful road. I think that was the aha in the sense I realized how disconnected I was from my 
from an understanding of myself. Um, but it did take a couple more big things happening to really wake me up to, okay, but you need to change something. If you want it to look different, you have to do different. And that means to, to doing things that might not seem like they should make sense. And so from there, I mean, the, the, where I landed from a career perspective, as I said, I was a litigator an attorney and I ended up taking a step off of the partnership track and moving into the admin side of law firms where I spent a decade, which was amazing because I got to work with really intelligent lawyers who loved the practice of law. I got to manage people, which I loved. I got to work on processes, which I loved, but I got to have control over my time and schedule, which I loved. So um, that was really like just navigating the twists and turns there as we added to our family, as the situation evolved. Ultimately, fast forward to three years ago, um, I decided that I would start my own coaching business. And at the time I was thinking, what I want to focus on is bringing leadership into law firms because there's a real hole there. There's a lack and this is why I say this topic found me <laughs> because I found myself with clients who were extremely ambitious, high achieving, lots of success on paper. And just as you said, asking that question of, is this it? Like, I thought it would feel better than this. And I realized that I had this unique background, um, this unique perspective and this unique experience of kind of building that for myself and that I could help clients do the same. And so that's where, um, where I landed on this becoming my focus. I did not set out in coaching with the notion that I would be a happiness coach. I did not know a year and a half ago that I would be writing a book about happiness. And yet here we are. Yeah, here we are in a world where, you know, the, the rates of, you know, depression and anxiety are through the roof, you know, and a lot of undiagnosed mental health um, issues, people just thinking that it's normal to feel that way or being afraid to talk to someone about it or to share what's really happening for them. And so that's why I really love having these conversations on the podcast. And most of the women who are listening to this conversation are already on their spiritual path. They've gotten to a place where they're interested in learning about personal development and personal growth and where, you know, it might not be new to them that like they, something feels off or that they feel out of alignment, or maybe they're not living their most vibrant, alive selves or not being in their happiest place. And so I know that you teach about a happiness formula. And I imagine that like everyone wants to know like, well, how do I be happy? How do I reach my maximum happiness? So um, yeah, I'd love for you to start by sharing a little bit more about, you know, what is your formula? What is the formula for happiness? Yeah. So my book is called The Happiness Recipe. And I have this notion that um, there is a recipe for maximum happiness. So now we get to the big reveal, which I think on its own, if we stopped here, would be disappointing. And here's what I think the formula for maximum happiness is. Do more of what matters to you and less of the rest. That's it. And so it's deceptively simple. And I think it's important to note the simplicity because often part of the problem we have with happiness and so many things is that we like to make the solution complicated when in fact, it's really simple, really straightforward. Now, being straightforward and simple does not mean easy, (laughs) does not mean quick execution, does not mean big shifts aren't needed. And so what I found as I sort of considered this topic and did a whole bunch of learning and worked with clients and looked at my own life 
is that there's three things that I call, or three gaps that I identify that get in the way of us being able to execute on this simple formula. And the first one I call the authenticity gap. And that is really where we don't even have the connection to self to know what it is that matters most to us where we are so tuned into the messages of the world or the messages of our families of origin or the messages of our peer group or the messages on social media, we've lost sight of what's actually ours. And so the first step is really connecting, reconnecting with ourselves and then being willing to name what matters most to us, which again, easy to say, hard to do sometimes, particularly when what matters most to us is counter to um, what people have told us should matter. So that's gap one. Now I'm going to fast forward to gap three. And the reason I'm fast forwarding to gap three is because that's what we do. We decide what we want, and then we go about the business of making it happen, right? And so the third gap for me is a physical energy gap is what I call it. And so it's, are you actually, once you've identified what matters most to you, are you actually doing more of that and less of the rest? Again, simple in concept, but so many things make it difficult to execute. Can you build the right habits? Can you set goals? Can you um, not let your goals become weapons? That's part of the issue that I see too. Um, And so a lot of just execution, productivity, time management stuff in that part. Now, I said I skipped a gap, right? (laughs) Because we often skip this gap. And I call it the emotional energy gap, but it's really, do you have the supportive beliefs and feelings that will allow you to execute on this formula? Do you believe it's okay to want what you want? Do do you believe you deserve to be happy? Do you believe you have to buy your happiness with suffering? Do you believe um, that you can say no? How do you carry your guilt? All of those things are in this big mindset place that really is the bridge from desire to action. And so for me, happiness isn't about making necessarily about making radical shifts or turning your life upside down, but it's about really getting in touch with yourself and then building the framework to allow yourself to execute on this formula. I'll add one last thought, which is this formula changes as your life changes, (laughs) right? We go through seasons in our lives and our, our formula Um, for happiness, what we, what matters most to us inevitably will change and that's okay. And so it's about also in that, in the doing of this, in the living of this, remembering to check in and see what season am I in and has my formula changed? So that's the overview. Beautiful. Yeah. As you, as you were saying, you know, get clear on what's most important to you. I had that thought of, you know, that evolves over time. We evolve over time, you know, for people who don't have children one day that, that, you know, one day, if you do want children or you do have children, what's important to you spending quality time with your kids or your family, like that might change. And, and that, and, and that shifts, you know, the amount of energy and time you're spending on certain things in your life. And I want to go back a little bit to your journey and talk about, you know, when you talked about the authenticity of you started to get clear on what makes me happy and what, what, what is important to me. I'm curious to know, was a lot of the resistance that you faced from the fear of what your colleagues might think or the fear of what your family might think, or was there anything specific that you personally struggled with that, that made it hard to honor that authenticity and honor what you really wanted? I mean, short answer. Yeah. 
longer answer, I want to tell a story. And so this goes back and maybe this is where really the origin story, but um, I was raised by a mom who had a very successful career at a large company. She ultimately ended up one step below the CEO. So really, really high powered career. Um, when I was in middle school, so let's call it 12, 13 years old, she went through a leadership development program and she came home one night and told us that she had some homework that she had to do and asked if we could have a family meeting. And so it was just me. I had, I was only child. So me and my dad sat down for this family meeting and she said, you know, I've been tasked to make clear to you guys that my top priority is my career. And as a 13 year old, what I said was, duh. Like I knew that already. She had been living it already. And when I tell that story, sometimes people say, well, that's terrible. Did you feel awful that your mom wasn't putting you first? Just because her top priority was her career didn't mean I didn't feel loved. Didn't mean that I didn't feel cherished. Didn't mean that I didn't feel that if I, I desperately needed her, she wouldn't find a way to get my needs met, whether that meant that she would be present or my dad would be the present one. I mean, there's, you know, a lot that goes into raising a kid. So no, that wasn't an issue for me. In fact, it was freeing because number one, I got to witness honesty in action. And number two, as somebody who cared about her, I knew how to support her, right? I knew that career mattered and that I could give her the space to do her career stuff without criticism, without judgment. And when I needed something, I could ask for it and she, you know, we'd figure it out. So that was the basis for thinking about as I entered this moment, this bathtub moment kind of season of my life was like, well, you know, she really declared her priorities and I want to declare mine, but uh oh, I might want to be a mom first. And how do I tell my mom, this woman who prioritized her career, who I admire tremendously, who I look up to as a mentor, that I'm going to pick being a mom first? So that was a big area of resistance for me. And when I called to tell them that I was making this career shift, I sort of was really nervous about it. Um, and the response was simple. It was good. You figured out what matters. Mm. And I just hadn't even like, I mean, that is how deep we get into our own stories, right? That it never occurred to me that this woman who went through what she, you know, when she tells that story, she talks about being really nervous to say this to her family and it being a big deal. And so this woman who had went through the process of defining a priority and then living it, it never occurred to me that what mattered to her was that I defined and lived my priorities, not what my priorities were. Never occurred to me until that point. Um, so that was, like I said, a big area of resistance. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. And I've heard so many times clients and friends who are in that place where they have something really big that they want to share, or their truth is just speaking so loudly and they're really afraid to share it with their friends or their family and anticipate like the worst, anticipate that someone's going to be really disappointed or really upset with them. And sometimes short term that does happen, or there's like a, a lag period before everyone's on the same page, but for the most part, what I've seen is that the people who really love you are really supportive for you and are want you to be happy and want you to do what's best for you. And also sometimes parents and other people project their opinion or their beliefs onto you of what's best for you or their expectations on you, or like they want a lot of times that comes from them wanting to feel safe. 
yes. from them not from them being afraid of oh if if she does this thing then what if it doesn't work out or what if you know what if she fails or what if she's not uh, supported doesn't make it financially what's going to happen so yep. it often comes from like their own fear based thinking and it's not truly what, you know, it doesn't mean that this path is not right for you. It doesn't mean that these choices aren't right for you, but just really being able to separate and recognize like sometimes it's their own stuff that's coming up and that it doesn't actually have anything to do with you. I mean, haven't you just described the essence of everything that gets in a way in the way of human relationships? It's just the tangling of our stories, right? Like my story, your story, and then like your projection and all of that, it's just noise. And so being able to recognize that is huge, not just to sort of progressing or being able to do the thing, but actually to happiness, right? Being able to acknowledge that it's not actually yours to carry. I mean, that's a big part of when we talk, when I talk about like less of the rest, it's really what can you set down? What energetically and physically and emotionally and spiritually, what can you set down that does not belong to you? Yeah. What are some examples of things that we might have to like release or let go of in order to honor our authentic truth? Guilt is a huge one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, and especially for women, like I don't have anything to actually support the statistic I'm about to say, but I mean, (laughs) I suspect that a hundred percent of women feel guilty at least 25% of the time. Like it, it is a pervasive and prevalent emotion for people and it almost never belongs to us. So let me explain if I do something that is truly against my morality, my values, my priorities, my compass, right? Like, let's say I walk into the drugstore down the street and I steal Snickers. Should I feel guilty? Yeah. Is that guilt appropriately belong to me? Absolutely. But so much of the guilt that we carry is about what we perceive that people are thinking about us. What we think, our story of what we think their story is going to be about us. Um, And I especially think that's true with the, like the female guilt or the not living up to guilt or the mom guilt that I, that I hear from a lot of my fellow moms um, that somehow we don't measure up. That's not ours. And so getting clear on what matters to you, being able to state that being able to own it within your, I'll say family. And I mean that in the loosest sense, it could be a friend family. It could be a family family, get the people in your world who matter most to you. If they don't have a problem with it, where is the guilt coming from? If you don't have a problem with it, where's the guilt coming from? Mm -hmm. And why are you carrying it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it is so common. I think especially with family, but with friends as well. I mean, an example in my life is like, if I'm not calling my parents enough, like I'm a 32 year old woman who like has my own life and have this story like, Oh, I should, or like, why haven't I called them enough? And it's like, I have a great like connection with my parents now. And like, we do talk and it's not like I'm a stranger in their life that like ignores their phone calls or never right. wants to connect with them. But there's this, this pressure and this idea that I create, no one else is creating it. No one's saying, Oh, you haven't called or, you know, you should call me more often, which some people do that, you know, like it, it, it sometimes guilt is projected from other people verbally for sure. Um, but yeah, sometimes we do, we do make it up in our minds. I mean, some, 
so much, at least in my own personal experience. And again, with the people that I work with, it's like the majority of the time, it's not really there. Mm -hmm. And sure. Yeah. If somebody that you care about comes forward and says, I would like to talk to you more. Well, you have a choice. You can feel guilty about the fact you haven't talked to them, or you can find a solution that works for you or for them or for both of you, maybe, right? Like that might be a boundary setting moment. That might be a saying no moment, or it might be a, oh yeah. Okay. I can be more present with you, or I can show up more for you if that's what you need for me, because I care about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so for these women who are, you know, anyone who is carrying that, that pattern of guilt that comes up a lot, um, once they've recognized that they're doing it or they know that they're doing it, how can they shift that or how can they let go of that, release it? So I think the biggest thing is not even just an acknowledgement that you're doing it, but like a very specific naming of what the guilt is, right? I mean, you just did it. You just did it here for us. It's, it's not difficult, right? It's like, I've got this story that is blank, but the facts are, blank. And so every time that guilt bubbles up, I think it's just a matter of retraining your brain and your nervous system to focus not on the story, but on the facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. And also coming back to the example that you gave earlier is like, there's a difference morally between stealing something, something from a store and not calling someone in a while, like, right. Or there's a lot yes. of different examples of what you might yes. feel guilty about yes. or, 100%. You know, and so really looking at the moral code, which I, I, I like to ask my, my clients a question, like, is that actually, are you actually doing something wrong? Like, is there yes. actually something if, if you were to go by the moral code and even if you did something in the past that you do feel like you did wrong or like you're not proud of yourself for, there's room for forgiveness and self-acceptance and like to let it go so you're not carrying it. And for most sure. of the everyday guilt that people are experiencing are things that don't even exist, like you're saying, that aren't even real. Yeah. And I think like to highlight something important, right? I said, it's like focus on the fact, but in order to focus on the fact, you need to go get the fact. So if you're carrying guilt about someone else, like I'll take, go back to your example, like you're feeling guilty for not talking to your parents more. And I think you already know where you stand with your parents. And so maybe don't need to go have a conversation with them, but go ask the person, are you happy with how things are going? Do you need something from me that I'm not giving you? And I think we forget, I'll, I'll highlight again, um, moms, because I, just because this is something I've run across just in the last couple week, a couple of times where they're like, I'm not here, there for my kid in the way that they, that I, that they want, that they want me to be like, well, have you, they told you that? Well, no, but I just know that that's how I'm supposed to show up for them. I'm like, well, here's a crazy idea. If they've got words, why don't you ask? Because I've done that a couple of times and been shocked by the answer when my kid is like, I don't even care if you show up to this school event, but I really would love if we could have dinner together on Friday. Mm -hmm. Cool. Like I can do that. That's easy. Um, and then I can give them what they need versus what I think they need. That's adding a burden to me. And I'm feeling pulled in too many directions. Yeah. Super powerful. Just having that conversation. And then, yeah, I think that mom guilt, I mean, I'm not a mom. I've worked with a lot of women who do have children. And what I see is that it really comes from a comparison to this idealized version of well, what 
does a good mom do? How does a good mom act? And like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Like what, what, what defines that? Like, is a good mom sacrificing yourself and doing everything and anything and spending as much time as possible with your children and never doing anything that might possibly upset them? Like, is that the standard that we're, we're living by? Cause you're for sure going to feel guilty a lot of the time. If that's the standard that you're comparing yourself to. Right. And I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. The question is how will you know when you're a good mom? Mm-hmm. How will you know? And that answer is going to be different for everybody and probably actually different through the stages of your kids' lives. And like really taking, like really a lot of times I'll throw a question like that out and, and people are like, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. Like I'll have to think about that, whatever. And then it gets passed over. But I mean, like really stop, think, write, talk to somebody, like answer that question before you start piling on any guilt. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the, what are the metrics that you're basing your, your decisions or your, your perception of how you're showing up? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So you talked about releasing and like, we gotta, like, there's certain things that need to be released in order to make your happiness a priority or to allow your happiness to be a priority. Um, how do you figure out like what your core essentialness for happiness and joy is how does one because there's so many things that we could focus on and so many things that could make one happy but for someone maybe who isn't clear on that how do you find the things that bring you the most joy well and so let me start by saying this if you are listening to this and you are one of those people who's like well geez i don't even know just know that you are not alone i run into that answer all the time and so the notion of identifying your essential sources of joy has sort of become central to what I do because it's a way to start to begin to build that connection with self on what matters. And so I have a pretty simple exercise and it might sound a little silly at first, but I'll ask you to indulge me. Um, And it goes like this. I want you to, you, the listener, you don't have to do this, Amy, um, although you can. Uh, I'll do it too. <laughs> um, so to, to list, and I would start with just the first five things that come to mind to fill in the blank of I am happy when. And I, and I want to be clear that I want you to literally write down whatever comes up. Don't judge it. So like, if it's like, I'm happy when I'm eating a popsicle, cool, write it down. It doesn't matter. Write it down. And then I want you to take whichever one jumps out to you first on that list of five or so items. And I want you to ask yourself, what about that thing makes me happy? And then I want you to write down the answer. And then I want you to ask yourself again about the answer. What about that makes me happy? And I want you to do that somewhere between three and five times for each of the items on the list. I know it sounds like a lot, but it's really not. And again, don't judge it. Whatever comes up, go with it. Then you're going to have a list of, at this point, I can't do math, something like 25 things. And you're going to be able to look at this list and you're going to know that you've identified an essential source of joy when it's something that you could inject into your life right at this very moment. So I'm going to give you just a a simple, simple example. So for me, one of the things that makes me happy is um, learning something new. I love learning. What is it about learning? Well, I like that it allows me to exercise my brain. I like being exposed to new concepts. What is it about those things that makes me me happy? It makes me feel like I'm in motion and engaged in the world. And, you know, so I could go on and on, but already 
you can see where I could pick a drop of any of those things and inject it into my right now today, right? And so the goal is to really start to have this menu because one of the fundamental things that is important for my work in happiness and for what I believe is that it's happiness is not for someday and happiness is not for just the good days. Happiness is for all the days. And so this, having this menu that you build for yourself of your sort of essential sources of joy allows you to find ways to take drops of happiness and put them in your life when they're not occurring naturally. And when you start to drop them in, your vibration changes, your momentum changes, your focus changes, and things shift. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that when something tragic and horrible happens, putting a couple drops of something off this list is going to make that go away. It's not. But we are a human superhighway of emotions, and these things can coexist. You can be struggling and still find happiness. You can be having a hard day and still feel pleasure. All of these things are possible. And so let's stop limiting it to one or the other. Um, and let's live this like rich, full existence of emotion and have access to ways to put more good emotion into our day. Thank you for sharing that process. And what you just shared right there at the end reminded me of one of the simplest quotes that I heard very early on in my journey is like, happiness is a choice. And when I first heard that quote and I was in a space where I was like, I don't have control over my thoughts or my emotions. Like I, I'm, I experienced depression. I don't, I have a lot of negative thoughts. Like if happiness was a choice, then maybe it would just be freaking easy to choose to be happy, you know, like almost like so much resistance to that. And yep. it really, happiness is a practice. It is a daily choice to first, like you said, get clear through these processes that are in your book and through these processes of identifying, like, what are the core things in this chapter of my life that are priorities that are important to me? What makes me happy? What are the things that bring me joy and getting to the essentialness of it? And then it is a choice to bring it into your everyday mm -hmm. life. Yeah. And, and I want to make really clear. I am not suggesting, I want to just say it again. I think I said it, and I, I just want to say it really, really clearly. I am not suggesting that you, that it's not just like think happy thoughts and you can ignore the struggles. Mental health is a real thing. Mental health responses and conditions are real things. Um, depression is a real thing. Anxiety is a real thing. Thinking just, just dropping happiness into your life doesn't solve those things on its own, but it does make life more livable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for acknowledging that other spectrum. And, and, and one of the things that I, I teach and that I, I really want to emphasize here and would love to hear your perspective on too, is that, you know, the idea or the fantasy that you're only going to be happy all of the time, like is it, to me, it is an illusion. We have a full range of emotions, spectrum of emotions as humans. And so I actually find in my life and for my clients that when we set this expectation that we are supposed to be happy all the time and that if we're not happy all the time, then we're doing something wrong, that actually contributes to the feeling of being a failure or feeling of not doing it right. And there's so much pressure on oneself that that actually takes away from our ability to be happy. And so, you know, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well, because of course this podcast in your book is about like the goal to infuse more happiness into your life. 
And like, I, yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. So I'll tell another quick story if you don't mind. Please. So when I went to get my coaching certification, I went and got an executive coaching certification from UC Berkeley. And um, one of the first activities that, that we did as a cohort was something that they call soul portrait. And you have to go up in front of the room. And at this point, it's a room of virtual strangers. And they ask you really some deep and probing personal, not personal, but like personal in the sense they're asking you about you questions. And so one of the questions that um, I got asked was, what is your purpose? And I said, I'm here to spread joy. And then I thought like, who said that? Because I didn't know that. Where did that come from? But I just kind of went with it, right? And the next question was, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, to me, joy means being able to live the full human experience and feel all the feelings. And so fast forward, I dive into coaching, think I'm going to focus on lawyers and leadership, figure out, no, actually I'm focusing on happiness, not surprisingly based on what I had decided to say or what my guides told me to say, or however you want to frame that. Um, But that is a fundamental to happiness or has been fundamental to my happiness journey and fundamental to what I see other people dealing with is for, to get the most happiness, you have to be able to deal with the uncomfortable feelings, the scary feelings, the lower vibrational feelings. Like you have to be able to process those. You cannot ignore them because um, what I find with emotions is when they get ignored, they turn into toddlers and that's disruptive and noisy and messy and nobody wants that, right? And so it is about being able to be in the discomfort of sadness or the comfort of sadness sometimes, like being able to be wherever you need to be emotionally, but then not being attached to staying there. And it's really about not being attached to staying anywhere. It's not being attached to staying in happiness. It's not being attached to staying in sadness. It's being willing to be a movable being. Yeah, such a powerful example. And I love that story. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I see happening, especially for for when people are labeled because in psychology there are labels and sometimes getting, you know, the the label or the identify identification with I am depressed or I am anxious. And it's like, yeah, maybe you experience depression or you experience sadness. However, that's not actually who you are. And can you start to focus on those moments or those experiences, even if they're just little moments throughout the day where you do experience any other emotion other than being depressed? Of course, there are, there's situational depression. There's times in your life where you might be depressed and, and totally hear that. And like, the, the attachment and the identification to any mental health, um, diagnosis per se, I think can be really debilitating for people. So I love this idea and this new definition of joy of being able to embrace all of the emotions. And I think at the core of that, it's like releasing the resistance to what is like releasing to this resistance that like, I shouldn't feel this way, or this idea that I shouldn't be this way, like that in itself makes it so much worse than actually feeling the feeling as it is. Yeah. I mean, so, um, 
the way that the Berkeley course is structured, they rely on Angelis Arians, the fourfold way. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they, they teach coaching through the rubric of four principles. One is as a coach, we show up and choose to be present. Two is as a coach, we let the client tell their truth without blame or judgment. Um, three, as a coach, we find what has heart and meaning. And four, as a coach, we are unattached to outcome. And I think that's what you just hit on. And I have found that not just in coaching, but in life, that is one of the most powerful stances that we can take is to be unattached to the outcome and only attached, well, really attached to nothing, but like only in the moment and allow the feeling, allow the thought, allow the fear and talk to it, converse with it, understand it, and then allow it to move on. Right. Um, so anyway, mm, yeah, such a, I was, I was talking to one of my clients the other day, who's becoming a coach and just talk about the framework for coaching is so fun to me because it's such a powerful modality. And I know that you do offer one-on-one coaching as well, and that you just recently released your book. So, um, for the listeners who are craving to hear more from you and want to keep learning from you, where can they find out about your coaching and your book? So I am currently one-stop shopping. You can head to my website, which is untanglehappiness.com. And everything's there, including ways to connect with me on social media, if that's your jam. Perfect. Love it. So we'll include your website in the show notes. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and sharing your knowledge today. And I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me, Amy. This was great. Thanks again for joining me for this episode of the Feminine Frequency Podcast with Becky Morrison. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to take a screenshot and share it on your social media in your stories. You can tag me at Amy Natalie Co and use the hashtag Feminine Frequency Podcast. I absolutely love hearing from you and connecting with you and resharing your posts. And also a friendly reminder that if you are ready to apply for the Empowered and Embodied Journey, my six-month coaching and embodiment program, send me a message and let me know that you want the early application and I will send over the link so we can get the ball rolling. All right, have a beautiful rest of your day, rest of your week, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.